Father, we, we thank you for your mercies that are new this morning. God, we thank you for your grace that is more than sufficient. God, we thank you for your word that is holy and very high. And God, we thank you that you've given us another opportunity as your people to gather and sit before you and hear your voice together. God, I know that your word is open and that means that your spirit will speak to your people. And God, it's always amazing to me. You know exactly what we all need to hear and why we need to hear it and how we need to hear it. And Lord, so many times I have no idea what people hear. And Lord, it just reminds me that you're the one who is doing this, not me. God, you're able to take just the foolishness of preaching. None of us are great at anything. We're all just flesh, God. But you're able to take this and somehow use it to bring about that which pleases you. So, Father, we ask that you would do that this morning for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 1, Jesus said this in Luke ten eighteen. He said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. We know that when Satan led his rebellion against God in heaven, that when he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. And according to Ephesians 6.12, these are those that we are wrestling with. This is who our real war, our real battle is with. It's not with one another. And we have to be reminded of that. In Genesis 1.1, we know God created the heaven and the earth. But in Genesis 1.2, we find that the earth is without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. When you compare scripture with scripture, you know that God did not create the earth that way. So something had to have happened between Genesis verse 1 and Genesis or Genesis 1 1, Genesis 1 2. And uh, to the consternation of some, it's very difficult to imagine that or take that position. But Jesus did see Satan fall as lightning from heaven. And in Genesis chapter 2, Adam is told something. Uh, he is told that he is not only to dress the garden, but he's also told that he is to keep it. All right, that's very clear. So not only was he to, to dress it, but he had to guard and protect it. He had to keep it. Well, what is he guarding and protecting it from? That's the question. When we arrive at Genesis 3, we understand very clearly that Adam and Eve are not alone in the Garden of Eden. Obviously, God was with them, but they had another guest, and that guest was the serpent, Satan, the devil himself. So obviously, Satan had to fall between or before Adam was placed in the garden. So that begs the question, where do you place that fall? If you can show me any other place where you can place it besides between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, I'd love to hear it. But again, we don't have to war about that because where I'm ultimately going this morning is this. The fall of Satan from heaven and the fall of man in the garden caused a fracture between God and his creation. Very clearly. Satan, we know, is the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. After Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 3, Satan and sin now stand between God himself and his creation. As the God of conciliation, as we saw, Jesus came to heal that fracture. He came to heal it. 
We saw from, from Colossians 1.20 two weeks ago that he made peace through the blood of his cross. That's where he reconciled all things unto himself, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. In terms of the universe, the universe will ultimately be restored and repaired in the new heaven and the new earth spoken about in Revelation 21 and verse 3. But as it relates to the fracture between God and man, Jesus made provision for man to be reconciled back to God. Therefore, any man who finds himself outside of the family of God is only in that position because he or she chooses to be. Because God has made provision for everyone to be reconciled back to Him. He has reached out to humanity through the blood of His Son at the cross. Now, that sets the table for where we're going today in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, and made a minister. Now we're going to look more at that next week in, per, in terms of the latter part of verse 23. But I want to state just out of the gate that verse 21 is both simple and so very, very deep. It is simple in that we understand what it's saying. We understand what it means at a high level. But it is so simple that we can overlook and miss the depth of what's actually there. Because before we were reconciled back to God, all of us, I don't care who you are, all of us were aliens and enemies of God. All of us were. Back in uh, 2002, I was, I was talking with, uh, many of you know, Jeff Bartell, a pastor of First Baptist Church, New Philly, Ohio. Uh, I was talking with him the other day, and he reminded me of the trip that uh, I took in 2002 when he was a missionary uh, in Albania. And Jeff had me come over and, and preach uh, his Bible conference. It was, it was my first trip out of the United States of America. I'll never forget it. And it was, God definitely used it, but what a, what a wild time. But I had a layover in Vienna, Austria. And I remember walking around the airport. I had questions. I was trying to find my connecting flight and all these different things. And not everything was in English. And I was confused. And I was, hey, do you speak English or do you... Right? And then I get to Albania, and Jeff warned me. He said, hey, just a heads up, uh, a lot of these people, again, this was a communist country at one point for many, many years, and they were closed to the rest of the world. And Jeff said, hey, a lot of them have never seen a person of color, so be prepared. They may want to come and touch your skin, touch your hair. And I tell you what, he was right. Man, I w we were walking down the street. People would literally stop in their tracks and just... I went to the store once, and we were walking through the store, and the, the clerk, she was literally following me down every aisle. Just, it was like I was an alien. <laughs> and one guy actually looked at me, I'll never forget, we, we were buying bread in the, uh, in the street, and the guy looked at me, and, and not to be inappropriate or, or uh, anything like that, but he, he started scratching his armpit under his shirt, trying to figure out who I was, and he goes, Michael Jordan! 
was like, well, uh, not quite, man. <laughs> I get it, though. Right? I was an alien and a foreigner. I didn't look like them. I didn't think like them. And I didn't talk like them. That was us before we were reconciled back to God. We were alienated from we, we could not have been more different. Ephesians 2.12 tells us that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, ye who sometimes were, were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Unlike Israel, without Christ, we were not God's children. We were not. Praise the Lord for the hope we have now in Christ, but before Christ, we had no hope. We were hopeless, and many of us have forgotten that. After leaving the airport, when we landed in Malawi last year, a very sober impression landed with me instantly as we drove out from the airport, and I just began to see the people walking up and down the street. The thing that that, that gripped me right away was just you could look in their faces and see hopelessness. It's just all over their face. It's all over their body language. Just hopelessness. Now listen, you don't have to be in a third world situation to be able to experience that. Very wealthy people in their lives in this country. You know why? Because they have no hope. They're hopeless. And that was us before we were made nigh by His blood. Not only were we aliens, everyone, but we were enemies. We were the very enemies of God. Isn't it hard to imagine that now? Because we know as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that there's nothing that can separate us from His love. But at one point in our lives, that, that wasn't the case, was it? At one point in our lives, we were separated from God's love because of sin. Wow. We were against God in our thoughts and our actions. Our works were wicked. The first mention of the word enemy or enemies in Scripture is found in Genesis 14.20. You know the context there. A lot has been taken captive. Abram arms, or he takes his armed, trained servants to pursue the enemies. He smites the enemies, recaptures the good, Lot and the people. And look at Genesis 14.20. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. God delivered the enemies into Abram's hand. Abram had smitten those enemies. All throughout the Old Testament, you see episodes of God destroying his enemies. At the second coming of Christ, he will destroy his enemies. At the great white throne judgment, God's enemies will be destroyed. I mean, you see this all throughout Scripture. Listen very carefully. Before Christ... Every one of us, we were the target of God's wrath. Every one of us, before Christ, we were the target of God's wrath. And so what we see from verse 21 here in Colossians 1 is we see the mercy of reconciliation. We see the mercy of reconciliation. Whether we were saved at the age of 6 or 26, we all deserved destruction. All of us, I do not care what color you are, 
what your situation was that you were born into, what your educational accomplishments have been. We were all before Christ. We all deserved destruction, annihilation. The world, the flesh, and the devil, though, have a way of enticing us to subtly believe. <laughs> it's subtle, but this is here. It happens. That somehow God was ultimately to blame for what happened in the Garden of Eden. I mean, after all, he created it all. He put him there. If he's so omniscient, he should, I mean, he saw what was coming. He should have done something to, to cause a different outcome. It's subtle, but people think like this. And so God, because of that, is therefore obligated to reconcile things. He has to fix this. He's the one who's responsible for all of it. And here's what happens with that mindset that causes many to, listen, to water down what they deserved before they were reconciled. It also causes them to water down the mercy of God. I mean, you hear that word so much, words like mercy and grace and forgiveness and long-suffering. We, we hear those things, and we hear them in a way that says, well, 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 yeah, God has to be. He better be. Please hear this. Generally speaking, American believers are crippled by entitlement and ungratefulness. Amen. Typically, American believers are crippled by entitlement and ungratefulness. So God owes me mercy. <laughs> he better be merciful. No, God owed us wrath. <laughs> God never, listen, God is never indebted to you. Never has been, never will be. God will never owe you anything or me. That were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. I was an enemy of God. Now tune in very carefully. Because one of the ways that we are found to be in the entitled and ungrateful crowd is that we are merciless to others. Uh, Luke 6.36 Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Ephesians 2.4 But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us and where we're going Colossians 3 verse 12 Put on therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved bowels of mercies Notice this plural. We'll talk more about that. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Brothers and sisters, I'm afraid that some of us are poor in mercy. Uh, somehow we have reason that we, because God owed it to us, because God owed me mercy, I was deserving of it. I was entitled to receive God's mercy, but... Those around me, they're not as good as I am. They're not so fortunate. They're not as privileged as I am. And so therefore, 
they don't get mercy from me. They get wrath. When people come short of the standard, we devour them. We set them on fire. While we came woefully short ourselves of the standard, God washed us in the ocean of his mercy. But instead of putting boughs of mercies on, we put on boughs of wrath. And I, I know it's hard sometimes. Because people let us down. I'm sorry. Welcome to humanity. They're just like you. They're imperfect. I will never forget this. Dr. Jeff Adams taught me this years ago in Shepherd School of Ministry. He said, expect to get hurt. Again, it wasn't, it wasn't licensed or it wasn't a recommendation to become cynical and suspicious and not, and not trusting of people, but it was just the reality. In ministry, you're going to get hurt. It's going to happen. Expect it. Jesus got hurt. Paul got hurt. I mean, welcome to the ministry. Between family and marriage and ministry and relationships in the body of Christ, if you have not been, which I doubt, maybe the kids, they got some, some years to go. But for the rest of us who have lived for a little bit, you've been hurt. You can't be married for a week without experiencing hurt. I will never forget. It was just a couple of days into our lovely honeymoon. I thought, I thought it was going great. You ask me, I'm having a great time. <laughs> Couldn't be better. And we're sitting in our hotel room, and Lori was preparing herself for, for bed, and I was sitting on the end of the bed watching Sports Center. I mean, after all, like, no, listen, hey, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, man. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Listen, I'm on my honeymoon. I have not, I have not watched any sports. I have... I'm taking just a couple of minutes, five minutes. Hey, I have missed. It's been days. I haven't watched anything. She's in the restroom getting herself ready for bed. I, I, I just want to check some scores. Amen. Hey, right? That's, I'm, just, I'm just checking some scores. That's it. And she walks out and she walks by me. And I, you know how you can feel like, okay, something's off. Hey, you're okay. I'm fine. I've been married that long. But I don't know. Something's up. So after probing a little bit, she goes, I can't believe you're watching sports on our honeymoon. I'm sure I didn't say it. I would agree. That's what it sounded like. And I said, I said, I'm not watching sports. I'm watching highlights. <laughs> there is a difference, right? Now, if I was watching sports, that would be ours. These are highlights, right? Cliff notes. That's it, right? I mean, man, she, I mean, just within a couple of days, she was hurt. Like, I can't believe you're not so. Okay, lesson learned. We had to have a few of those um, <laughs> along the way about me and sports. But my line was, hey, hey, baby, at least I'm home. Okay, I'm here. You don't have to worry about I'm out doing it. I'm here with you. All right, anyway. That's in the rearview mirror. <laughs> Here's where we're going, everybody. We've all hurt God before and after salvation happened. All of us have. Every time you grieve the Holy Spirit of God, God's heart aches. Every single time. 
If you want to know what the heart of God looks like and the fact that God really does have one, read the book of Hosea. You'll see that very clearly. I'm so glad that he doesn't rain down fire and judgment on me every time I've grieved him. I'm so glad. I made an error in ministry. I've made a few of those. I made an error in ministry a few weeks ago. And, um, and once I realized it, I, I went to Sam and I was like, oh, Sam, I, I am so sorry, sir. Just, I just whiffed. <laughs> I mean, I just, that just got lost somewhere in my mind amongst how many, ever, how many other things are going on up there. And as Sam always does, before I can even finish the sentence, oh, brother, that's nothing. That's no big deal, man. I love you, man. Just, you know, and there's always an embrace. Do you know on a typical week, Sam tells me he loves me about five times? I, I, I hear from Sam, I love you about at least five times in any given week. I, I, Sam and I hug daily, well, when I'm here. We're here about five, four days, four or five days a week. Um, he's merciful. How would your spouse, your children, people you're in ministry with, how would they answer this question? It's a tough question. Are you merciful or wrathful? How would they answer that question? If I could sit your husband down, if I could sit your wife down, if I could sit your kids down, if I could sit the people who spend time with you, how would they answer this question? Are you merciful? That's a tough question for me. Because I can tell you at times, I have been wrathful. As a matter of fact, I was tempted this morning. I was like, God, I, usually the test comes after the message. So Sam is very passionate about the building being safe, clean, and ready. Like, that's a big deal to him, and I, I've grown to respect that. And so I'm like, okay, I want to make sure I get here early enough to make sure the building, the building this morning was not safe, clean, and ready. Not even close. So after about 15 minutes, see, this morning I took a shower, I ironed my clothes, and I prepared myself not to work out or sweat. So after walking around the building for about 30 minutes, I'm sweating. So guess what now I'm looking to do? I'm looking to take somebody's head off. Who's responsible? Who, who left this mess? I mean, I came in early so I could, I've got, I didn't come here to spend 45 minutes and, and the Holy Spirit's like, are you merciful or wrathful? Because I'm, I'm certain you've left a few messes for people to clean up after you yourself. Let's start with your wife. How many dishes? How many plates? How many cups? How many has she cleaned up after you? Let's talk about the, the time that she spends sweeping up the hair after I shave my head and, and my side of the bathroom sink that looks very different from hers. That somehow just magically... Every couple of days, it just looks just like hers. And she doesn't walk through the house ranting and raving and moaning and groaning. And want you grow up and you're... She's... Let me ask you this. Here's how you can ask this question. Are people fearful to fail you? Because you have shown them that when they come short, when they disappoint you, when they don't do what you... And so they're terrified to fail you. 
Why? Because they fear your wrath. Because they've tasted it. We were reconciled. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Here we see the mission of reconciliation. The mission of reconciliation. We were reconciled by Christ that we might be presented to God like Christ. You see that? Christ was and is holy. He is set apart from sin. Unblameable, Christ was and is blameless. Unreprovable, Christ could not legitimately be accused of sin. Now, we were none of these things as aliens and enemies, but now that we've been reconciled, these things are clearly the focus or the mission of our reconciliation. And the target there clearly is our sanctification. 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul said, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Ephesians 5.27, That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Here's the key. From a positional perspective, we are holy unblameable, and unreprovable in Christ. That is our standing. That is our position in Christ. But Paul's focus here is not so much on our position in Christ as much as it is our presentation. Uh, Paul's focus here is, is getting our standing and our state synced. Because they're not always in agreement. Too often there is a discrepancy between who we are in Christ and how we're walking in Christ. This is Paul's focus. How will you be presented at the judgment seat of Christ? That's the focus. Christ did and does his part in terms of the mission of reconciliation. But how we're going to be presented, that's up to us. And that's exactly where he's going in verse 23, because notice he says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And this brings us to the must of reconciliation. And this is on us. We must continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, tragically, some have and will continue to use this verse as a proof text to support why someone can lose their salvation. And that is a tragic hermeneutic. If that's true, then Paul is very confused in this chapter. He's very confused. Because he's already told us that we've been delivered from the power of darkness. He's already told us that we've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. He's already told us that we have redemption and that we have the forgiveness of sins. He's already told us those things. He just told us that we're no longer aliens and enemies because we've been reconciled. 
So clearly, he can't be talking about a believer losing their salvation, because if that's the case, then you can erase everything that we've looked at up to this point for the most part. The reason that he did not, and he is not talking about salvation, is because the focus of verse 23 is not salvation, but our presentation. That's the focus. Paul spoke about their hope that is laid up for them in heaven in verse 5 of chapter 1. And they received that hope when they heard and believed the gospel. The hope of the gospel for the believers speaks to their heavenly expectation. Right? So, this morning, you woke up with an expectation that we were going to be meeting this morning. Right? You, it wasn't wishful thinking. It wasn't, well, I hope when I get there that people are there and that we're going to have class. No, you came expecting. Right? This is the hope that we have in the gospel, or this is the hope of the gospel for us as believers. We're not we're, we aren't wishing for heaven someday. We believe what the Bible says in terms of Ephesians 2 and verse 6. We're already there. <laughs> He's already made us to sit together in heavenly places. So we're not, that's not, so our hope is not worldly in that regard. What was happening at Colossae, though, is they were being tempted to move away from that through the heretical teachings of Gnosticism. This is why Paul told them, to continue in the faith, grounded and settled, Colossians 2 verse 7, which is where we're going soon, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So if you are going to have a proper presentation at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to have to be grounded and settled in the word of God. Without a doubt. You can't be moved. You cannot be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4.14. Gnosticism aimed at tossing them to and fro. If you're going to be presented well at the judgment seat of Christ, then you have to take every opportunity that you have with an open Bible to get the absolute most out of that. Whether it be in your private time at home, or whether it be in this setting, or main service, or D2, or LFBI, or whatever you're doing, or Psalm 119, or whatever it is, it is urgent. Your presentation at the judgment seat of Christ rides on that. And you don't want to let anything fall to the ground. Please hear me. We're not talking about you just knowing Scripture. We're talking about you being grounded and settled in it. We're talking about you being unmovable in the hope of the gospel. You being steadfast in the book. Please get this. There will be no shortage of Bible scholars at the judgment seat of Christ who will suffer loss. There will be no shortage of Bible scholars at the judgment seat of Christ who will suffer loss. I've seen it all too often. Over time, believers let up. They take their foot off the pedal because they reason. It's subconscious, but they reason that I have learned all there is to learn, essentially. And I've done just about all there is to do in ministry. So, man, I'm just going to put it on cruise until my time is up. 
I'm just going to, and we, we, we talked about this last week, man, about being a Caleb. There's just, there's just no hunger. There's no appetite. There's no conviction. There's no urgency. There's no passion. There's no fervor. There's no vigor. I'm just going to coast to the judgment seat of Christ. And what they're really saying is, man, God's done with me. Hey, look, I don't know about you, but I tell you what, I am uh, a little bit beyond giddy and just a little bit fired up about what that church in Boston could look like five years from now, ten years from now. What what would a pipeline of trips from Life Fellowship to Boston look like? What would it look like for my son to potentially, you know, he's, he's almost 16, don't get emotional, okay? He's <laughs> almost 16, and what would it look like if he and I were having a conversation and he wanted to go spend the summer with Pastor Mike? Ha, huh. helping. Like, I don't know what you think about, but I, I, I mean, I, I, are you kidding me? I mean, I, listen, I love getting together like this, and this is cool, and we can open the Word of God, and we can eat donuts, and, and we can talk and do all that, but that's good. But do you understand that we have an opportunity to touch eternity? And what else does God have for us? Oh, are you kidding me? See, man, little do we know sometimes, God has more truth and ministry, listen, than we could ever fully discover, listen, in a hundred lifetimes. God has as much as you want. Are you kidding? Here's the question, though. How will you be presented? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, that is really the question on the floor this morning. What will, our, what will our presentation be like? What will it look like at the judgment seat of Christ? Oh God, help us to take that thought very seriously because God, today, we are one day closer to it than we were yesterday. So God, it's urgent. The hour is urgent. In Jesus' name, amen.